So I kind of have my own process. Every pastor's got their own process uh, with the word. Again, thank you, Pastor David, for, for being here. But in my preparation process, some of you that have been around me kind of know I kind of have a specific flow. And when my flow gets messed up, I kind of get grouchy and I'm stressed all week because my flow got messed up. Anybody else like that? Like you got a certain flow to it. So um, my flow is usually like Tuesday mornings, like I'm posted up and I'm like heavy content resourcing and preparing myself uh, with all the, the, the content I'm you know, preparing for the sermon. And then Wednesday, I try to make it uh, you know, relevant to you where you can understand it. And then on Thursday, I'm just internalizing uh, the material. Uh, well, this past Tuesday, I was kind of in my groove. I'm in my little coffee shop. I like to sit and type away at and drink my little tea and, and uh, prepare and... Um, and I hit this roadblock, and if anybody's a writer of any sort, and you kind of hit writer's block, you learn that there's a way that you deal with writer's block, and, and at least for me, and I find most writers are the same way, you got to change the environment. you got to get somewhere else. you got to get the juices flowing. you got to get to a different location. For me, I run right up the river, not run, literally drive, uh, up the, to, to the, uh, the South Bank, and I just walk, and I just pray, and I've just thought about this content for a few hours, and I'm just praying. God, would you speak? And I knew what God had in my heart to share, and I had a ton of scriptures, but I was just like, God, pull this together for me. And so I'm walking down the river, and if you haven't been on the South Bank, it's a beautiful place to kind of walk. They've redone it. And so it was like, you guys know how this week was. It wasn't rainy like today. It was, you know, cold, but then it got sunny, and it was real nice, you know, a little bit, but it was still chilly. You need to have your jacket on in the afternoon. So I'm walking down the river, and I keep finding these little benches, and I'm trying to find a spot to sit down with my little iPad and its little keyboard. Everything's little, you know, everything's little. I'm pulling up, and I'm trying to find a comfortable spot to get the juices flowing, pull this all together. I sit down on the first bench, and I'm like, oh, it's in the shade. It's too cold. I need to be in the sun. And so I, I go to the next bench, and I, I sit down there, and, and the, the sun's too bright now. It's, it's in my eyes. And I sit down at the third bench, and, and you know, um, the view's not pretty. It's kind of like facing a dumpster or something. I'm like, I can't, I can't win for losing here. Like, I'm just trying to find a comfortable medium here. And 15, 20 minutes later, I, like, finally find a bench. I'm like, this is going to have to to do, and I found myself moving in location, and every time I had like a good reason for it, like the binge was too bright or too cold or whatever, and I found myself moving from bench to bench, and God hit me with that after I'd wasted all this time. He's like, this is exactly what people do with Christian community. I sit down to bench, and I think it's good, and I'm like, oh, it's too bright here, and then I'm like, I finally go to the next one, and I'm like, it's too, it's too cold right here, and then I go to the next one, and I do this, and, and if we're, we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in this place where we've, we've moved benches our, our whole life for 15 or 20 years or 5 or 10 years, and we'll look back like I did, sitting on the fourth bench, and I'm like, it's, I've wasted all this time that I could have been putting to good use because I was focused on the wrong thing, and so I, I want to talk to us today about community and living in what I'm calling the gloriously messy adventure of community. The gloriously messy adventure of community. Um, because as I begin to think about this and begin to study, I realized that kind of everything in God's plan, kind of you could center around this idea of community. Like it starts with God inviting us into community with himself. Right? That's with Abraham. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. And then through Christ, God invites us into relationship, though we're not good enough on our own. He invites us into community. And then he invites us into 
community with one another. And then the call for the body of believers is to go and invite others into community with God and into community with others. Like, that's kind of everything. <laughs> that's kind of the gospel. It's kind of, it kind of all wraps around this idea of community. And so I want to spend the next few minutes really processing, what, okay, what does that mean? What, what does it look like to live in this gloriously messy adventure of community? And so I want to read John chapter 17, deal with uh, some of the things we're up against that we've been raised in, in our American culture, in our church culture, in our own pride and sin. Let's deal with some of those and then really get into what are the pillars of community? What does it look like? What do we need in our life to operate and experience what God wants us to experience? Uh, I want to turn to uh, John chapter 17. We're going to read verses 13 through 23. And I love this passage because it's one of the few places, you, I don't know, does anybody else like to eavesdrop? Like, come on, don't lie. Like, nobody wants to raise their hand. I, like, if you're sitting at dinner and you kind of overhear a conversation, nobody doesn't listen to the conversation. So I find myself eavesdropping from time to time, just listening. When, when I was a kid, my, my parents uh, would be having a conversation, you know, an adult conversation at the kitchen table with some friends, and I would sit at the door and just eavesdrop. I just listen. Eventually, my parents were a fan of MASH growing up, you know, and so there was this, this character, his name was Radar, and so they called me Radar because I was always listening into an eavesdropping. So we get to eavesdrop. This is one of the few instances, and we, think about this for a second. We get to eavesdrop on Jesus praying to his Father in heaven for us, if you look through the scriptures, you will not see, I think there's like two, maybe three instances in which Jesus is actually praying privately and we get to eavesdrop on this conversation. This is what we get here and, it's, it, and, and we're going to pick up halfway through the conversation, just like we do in an eavesdrop. Come on, you just pick up halfway, you start putting the details together. And, and the kind of two sections and Jesus pivots here, this first sentence is a little bit of a pivot. So let's begin John chapter 17, verse 13. I'm coming to you now to the Father. And I say, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, don't miss this, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I want to read that first sentence and I promise I'm going to move on. But I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not for you, that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me, and I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Jesus pivots here with this, that they may know the full measure of not your joy, not my joy, the full measure 
of his joy. And, and what I realize so many times is we experience joy, but we rarely experience the full measure of his joy. We have joy because we have Jesus. But somehow in our journey, uh, maybe many of us in, in this room right now, we can say, you know, I, I don't know that I have the full measure of his joy. I, I don't know that I've got the full measure. I, at the end of the day, I just find myself empty still, even with Jesus. And I think as we'll lean in and begin to understand this, I think we'll see what the full measure of his joy really is. And it's quite simple. For God so loved the world, John 3.16. Hebrews 12.1 tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus, for the joy set before him, that joy I believe in Hebrews 12 is talking about us. God's full measure of joy is all of humanity. We are the, we are the measure of his joy. We are the apple of his eye, just like Israel was. We are all of humankind. And, and though God has a unique, special relationship, as Jesus is praying to the Father, my prayer is not just for them. So a large part of Jesus' joy is the body of believers, sons and daughters, bought by the blood of Jesus. But the rest of the measure is those that don't yet know him, that have not encountered his grace, who have not received the free gift of grace in our life. So it's this full measure of joy. And so I want to process uh, this a little bit because if we want to understand and experience the full measure of his joy, then we've got to have this same love for the body and for those out there, for, for, for those that have not yet experienced that to, to understand our purpose in being sent out of God. There's a, a Christian historian. Uh, he's an, an African-American historian. He's got a new book called, uh, it's about uh, the, the church's role in, in uh, the complicit role in, in racism in our culture. It's, a, it's an uh, exciting book I'm, I'm excited to read, but his name is Jamar Tisby. And Jamar is kind of talking about what it means to be a Christian community. And he really identifies two, and I want to add a third and, and just elaborate more on the thoughts he was discussing, some countercultures within us. If we're going to create a Christian community, we have to understand that deep inside of us, there are countercultures that are working at play to keep us from this Christian community that God has called us to be. The first uh, counterculture we, exp we experience in our, in our life, well, I wouldn't say the first, but uh, one of the main ones is uh, living in our American culture. Um, American culture is really marked by individualism, like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you know, unalienable rights that each one of us have. And, and come on, I love America. Like, I love Peru. I love every country. Uh, I really do. Um, but we, we are such an individualistic kind of culture, and that's a deeply embedded culture within us in which we've got to take care of ours. And we've got to do our part. And it's not what your country can do for you. It's for what you can do for your country. Did I do that pretty good? That was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Let's be real. Don't, don't patronize me. It was bad. Um, but we live in this individual, uh, individualism in our culture. Basically, at the end of the day, we've got to look out for ourselves. But this is so opposed to the gospel. Um, where we are so independent, right? The, the Pledge of Allegiance and the Independence Day. And like we are proud of our in 
dependence, but the gospel brings us not to a place of independence, but a place of complete dependence on God. Not only complete dependence on God, that community, but on one another, the body of Christ. He's woven us into that, and so we've got to be mindful that we bring this to the table, and it's going to work against what it means to be a part of God's community, to be a part of what it means to be a part of Christian community. You can see this in our culture. I could elaborate on this so much more. With our picket fences, uh, with our larger backyards, with no more screen doors on the front porch, that, that we're no longer outside. We, we're creating kind of an individualistic thing where we've kind of got ours, our bubble, our bubble, and if we're not careful, it's a bubble of selfish convenience. I mean, just think about how technology is basically enabling us to really stay in our bubble all the time. We don't even have to go to the grocery store anymore. Someone will bring it to you. And so we live in this bubble of selfish inconvenience. And so it's deeply embedded and it combats the culture and the community that God calls us into. So just recognize that the second one is not just American culture, but it's church culture. It's church culture. The second culture, I think it is, uh, church culture is deeply embedded in all of us, whether you've been in church two days or two weeks or 20 years in your life. It's deeply embedded in us because it's embedded in our society as well, but we, we've really bought into it in our church culture, and it's consumerism. I'm going to go, and or, or we'll walk away, and I'm like, uh, there, there just wasn't really anything for me there today. Like, we have this mindset, like, I'm coming to get what I need. I'm coming to, to get the word I need from God, and, and we, we don't and, and let me just tell you, there's so much. I, I talked about technology, and I, I love technology. We, are, we stream our, our stuff on podcasts, and, and uh, we've started the video thing last week that's available on Facebook Live each, each Sunday morning. And eventually this band is getting so stinking good, we're eventually going to you know, record them, and there'll be music. And we live in such a culture that we're so spoiled with content. We're, we're so spoiled with preachers that we can choose who we like better, who's more our style. We can choose the church that has the music that's more our style. We can, and if we don't like that during the week, we can just pick it up and listen to it. And we go through this whole thing, and, and we've kind of, we're creating a menu, a playlist for what we like. And, and, and so there's all kinds of embedded dangers or landmines in this growth of technology, which I think is amazing. But there's all kinds of landmines in there. We'll talk about all those another day. I think the greatest landmine that we're facing our time when it comes to our Christian culture and consumerism is that we have all the content we could ever need, but no commitment to community to practice what we've learned. Like we, we've been in church, we've been around, we listen to three podcasts a day, if you're like me, uh, at times I see people that'll show up here for the first time and they've listened to an entire, they've listened to an entire year of sermons before they show up here. Like that's the culture we live in. We've got all the content, but they have, there's been no commitment to community to practice anything we've learned. And so it's a deeply embedded uh, culture and counterculture that, that keeps us from what God has. Because the reality is we create this faux community, this, co- this comfortable community in which We've got these glimpses of it, these handshakes and these hugs that makes us feel like we're sort of connected. But everything we've been learning, where are we practicing those things? And what Jesus' prayer is that we would begin to practice them in here so much that they get become embedded into us more than this culture. These countercultures become embedded in us. And then we go out and we practice that with others. People who do not know Jesus, and they get a glimpse of heaven. 
because we are living on earth as it is in heaven in here before we do it out there. And then we just, we just bleed it over because we practice this in our small groups. We practice this, that we're not get, get, get. We actually come to give, give, give. This is the test of love. At the end of the day, at the end of the week, the month, the year, I've done that twice today. I don't know why I've got friends in the head. But if you are a Friends fan, you know the theme song, right? Yeah. Well, we won't sing it right now. Um, and we've, we've got this. The test of love is at the end of the day, the end of our life, we will have given more than we have taken. We will given, have more than we received. Uh, that, that's, the, that's the test of our, our love. The third one, the third counterculture, and, and I got to move, um, is our own sin. This is marked by Pride. It's marked by pride that says, you know, I'm okay with individualism. I'm good. I'm okay being independent and not dependent on the other bodies of believers. In fact, we try to build our life till we're not dependent on God and others. But it's confronting this deeply embedded, this is the one we're born with, the sin nature in which must be crucified. It's our pride. And, and each of us, we have to carry our cross up our own Golgotha. And on it, we crucify consumerism and individualism. And, and we find a deep humility as we crucify those things on a daily basis that says, I'm not an island to myself. I, I just can't live like this. The gospel says that. That's, that's not the, the, his design. I'm not good enough on my own. I, I crucified consumerism that says, it's about me, 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 getting, getting, getting. And I crucify that and, and I find that it's about what Jesus did for us as Taryn just so passionately poured out. But it's a struggle. It's a struggle. We are moving uphill. Jesus used a, a phrase to talk about this journey that he calls us on to. And he compares, he's like, it's, it's like a narrow gate. It, it's a narrow gate. I would say the convenient community that we've experienced in our culture and our society is is a, a wide gate. But what it really looks like to follow Jesus is, is a narrow gate. I didn't say that. That's what Jesus said, and I think you could play it uh, when we talk about community as well. All right, real quick, I, I gotta dive in. I gotta move. Let's talk about these four pillars of Christian community. Four pillars of Christian community. I, I want you to think of these. You can think of them in a building or you can think of them in a table. I, you guys know I build tables, farmhouse tables and stuff, and so I think in tables. <laughs> you know, a lot of times it's just stuck in the brain. So we got to deal with the first one, and uh, it's the cornerstone. I mean, Jesus said it was the cornerstone. You could probably guess what the first cornerstone of Christian community or, or pillar is. It's love. Surprise, right? N no shocker there because Jesus said, everything hangs on this. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest two commandments. All the law, all the prophets hangs on this. If you don't have this... It's all falling away. That's the first one. This is the cornerstone is love. And out of this, I, I, would, I would put things in this bucket like forgiveness. Like in our small group, in your church. And, and here's what begins to change as we begin to understand what community is and what God wants to do in community. Because I said it's gloriously messy. That means you're going to be hurt. And you're probably going to be hurt often the closer you get to people. So don't let that surprise you next time. Just know it's going to happen. It, it always surprises you who it is, but it shouldn't surprise you that it happened. You know what I mean? Um, and this is when we begin to live in the first pillar is when we practice forgiveness. 
when, when I'm willing to forgive. Because, come on, I mean, think about the culture we're in right now. We don't forgive anybody. No, like you are dead. The, the second you, a public figure makes a mistake, and there are many of them who have screwed up royally, but the second they do, forgiveness is not in the American vocabulary anymore, except for in here except for in here. And our world is dying for it because they're, they know they're just as screwed up as the last leader who screwed up. They know they're just as messed up. And so our world is dying to see a picture of forgiveness. And I'm telling you, you want to talk about something that's countercultural right now? That's it. In, in, in a social media thing that's so filled with vitriol and hate, they're dying to see a picture of love. And that's in Christ. And that should be in here. And we should be unified in this and, and, and that, to, be, to practice this unity that the world is dying to see. I'm going to preach way too long. I'm going to go over today. You guys are just going to have to hang with me, I promise. We got cookies for you after. Is that cool? Like we got cookies. I'm going to try to hang in there. But um, is we've got to practice forgiveness. If, if we're going to have unity, we're going to have to practice forgiveness. This is what everything hangs on. And, and Jesus was so hardcore about this thing of forgiveness. He drops it heavier than any preacher will. He says, look, unless you forgive one another, God's not going to forgive you. Come on, you, you got to process that for a second because that could sound like works-based. You know, you got to process that a little bit. But Jesus was so serious about this thing of forgiveness because it is the gospel to someone. It is me acting like Jesus because what Jesus do for us? He did not count our sins against us. He forgave and he calls us to live in the same way. Patience with one another. That's love grace with wonder. And let me just add to this truth. Truth. You don't have love unless you're operating in the truth. You, you've got a portion of love if you're grace, 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 grace. And I'm grace, 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 but I'm also truth. Grace and truth. They go together. And, and when we are in love encapsulates them. They seem like the opposite of one another on, on times. They seem like the opposite. It is love that encapsulates them. And that is what we are to possess and put inside of us. And we cannot do that on our own. It is by his grace and his forgiveness and his patience towards us that we understand that. And we're able to give that to others. I promise I'm moving. Um, and let me, I'm not moving. Um, one more thought. So in our culture, and I'll say this particularly in our city, I hear this a lot and I'm not chastising, I'm not beating up on anybody, but I want to explain something. The reality of churches growing is that organization has to happen. It does. I, I know so many of people in our city, and it may just be one or two in here, it may be a lot of you, that as a church organizes, and it's, it's, a, it's a vital and important part of growing. If your ministry grows, you have to get more organized because it can't be around one person. It, it's, organization is a part of the skeleton. And, and if you think that's wrong, just read the New Testament. What do you think Paul was doing when he goes into the, every city? He was organizing stuff who didn't know what they were doing. He's like, Wait, we need to put people over here and you guys are going to take care of the tables and let's, you guys are over here. You guys are going to take care of teaching the word. It was organization. Organization's the skeleton. It's the skeleton, but it's an empty skeleton. And this is what a lot of people in this city have experienced. We have a skeleton but the muscle and the meat on the bones is love of the people that make it up, the body of Christ. When we are operating love, there is, there is a built-up body that can move mountains together. And so we've got to grab a hold of this. The skeleton is, is necessary, but it's, not a, it's just a, a means to an end, which is to carry the love of God into all the world. So 
that's just something that I've, I've heard from you, and I, I just wanted to, to give you as a piece of encouragement and thought. The second one is comfort. I told you. I'm going to move faster to these next three. Uh, comfort. And this is one that I think we would recognize immediately. In fact, when we talk about the church, this is what we hope that, you know, one of the first things will go. I, I'm encouraged, you know, and I get something you know, from it, but I want us to flip that on its head and really think about how am I operating in this? How am I embodied? If, if each of us has a table to build, how's my first pillar, the cornerstone? Am I doing it, practicing forgiveness, patience, grace, truth? Second table leg, I keep going, you guys roll with me. The second one is, is comfort. And this one I feel like we, we miss out on a lot because you have to be close to practice it. I can practice grace in my head and my heart, um, but comfort, encouragement, mercy, compassion, care for someone has to get outside of my head and heart. It's got to touch somebody. And a lot of us miss out on this leg and this pillar because we're too far to touch somebody. Encouragement. It's where we understand that I come not to get, 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 but to give. I'm not just coming to receive encouragement from the Word of God and, and through this weak vessel up here, but I, I'm coming to give encouragement, to find the, the person who played drums and said, Man, I love the way you play, man. You've got, you know how to worship as you play, and I love that spirit about you. I find someone to encourage. I find Opportunities to show mercy and compassion. And I, I love this word care because I think it encompasses what it means to rejoice and to mourn with one another. I, I asked a group of leaders this week uh, just in a, in a message thread that we have. And I said, hey guys, tell me what's the hardest part and what's the best part about being a part of the Christian community? Like our groups and being a part of the body. What's the hardest part? What's the best part? There was all kinds of responses, but they all kind of carried a similar thread. The hardest part, they said, was the practicalities of life. Being tired when you get off work, you know? Making sure like the kids are taken care of. Having to grab food on the way and you're on a specific diet. All the practicalities of one of the hardest things about being at that. They said, people also talked about being vulnerable. That's hard. Trusting others, that's, that's difficult. The best part? the encouragement of the body, being encouraged by what someone else is doing, uh, what God is doing in somebody else's life, testimonies of victory that we can mourn with one another, but to rejoice when someone rejoices and to mourn when they mourn, I gotta be close. That's why you see so many leaders get on the stage and begin to weep when they think and they look out because they know your story. They've spent time with you, praying and thinking about you because they're so deeply connected. They're so close. They, they're mourning with you because they know what you're going through. When, when something great happens, they're celebrating with you and you can see that on their face, but we can only experience this and live this out, this, this leg of the table when we're close enough. And so that's a pitch to get in a group somehow, some way. Uh, the third one is a service. The third pillar um, of Christian community is, is service. Uh, this is where we'll talk about your spiritual gifts and what you bring to the table. We'll talk about sacrifice and giving generously. 
meeting others' needs, that it's not get, 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 but it's actually, I actually do something tangible with what God's called me to do, and I bring that to the table. We'll, we'll let that be our short one for the day. And then finally, the fourth, fourth pillar, and we've got to get this one to get the full measure of his joy, which I want. I, I want all of his joy. I, I've lived a life at times in which it was partial. I want the full measure of his joy and it's, it's mission. This is our outreach. This is our evangelism. This is overseas missions. This is missions in our city, in our neighborhoods. It's discipleship, pouring into others when we get nothing out of it. We get nothing out of it. It's just to, to invest in all, all, all that's a part of, you know, um, only part of God's measure of joy. Jesus said it. My prayer is not only for them, but also those who will believe because of their message. It's really this fourth pillar of community that makes up the difference that I think we haven't totally grasped. I won't talk about the church. I think we haven't totally grasped this here in our own lives. That this is a, it's a pillar of what it means that we invite others to meet him. We invite others into godly community. And we do that by, by showing love, by showing comfort, by showing a service and operating and meeting needs of people all around. They're like, why are you giving, giving, giving? You're always giving, giving, giving because there's something, there's something deeper to it. This is Jesus' plan. I mean, he talked about it all the time. He said, church, I want you to be a city on a hill. I, I want you to be light and salt in the earth. I want you to be my ambassadors that everywhere you go, you are carrying forward this message of love. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. This is Jesus's plan. And so my question, as Jesus has sent us out, just as he he doesn't want to take us out of this world, we become starkly different because we're counterculture in the community that God has called us into. But he actually calls us to be sent to. And I just want to ask you, do you have a sent mindset? Do you have a sent mindset? Because what I realize is that many times we get bombarded because we have a stuck mindset. I'm stuck in this neighborhood until I can move out. I'm stuck in this job until I get a better one. I'm I'm stuck in this stupid city until I get to move to Austin where everything's awesome. You know? I'm stuck, but, but I wonder if like God might want to do something these next few minutes in which, one, we identify our table, how our legs are doing. We got a wonky table. And here it is. When we set the table, God's kingdom, then we can sit down and enjoy a meal. And we can experience what God's design is, not just in this life, but it is just foreshadowing to the great feast that we will experience in the age to come. It's just foreshadowing. Do we have a sent mindset? A stuck mindset? What if you're not stuck there? What if you're sent there? What if that dead-end job isn't a a dead-end job? It's the mission field you've been called to, just like pastor has been called to Hikamarca, Peru. What if that neighborhood, you're actually there for a reason because God's calling you to pastor your, your block. Yes. To be an evangelist on that. I mean, 
What if you just start out in the middle of the street, you know, and I'm, I'm saying this metaphorically, but you just begin to set the table in your neighborhood, and you just begin to set the table for love and comfort and encouragement and meeting people's needs, and it's like it's not a church thing. It's when the church gets a sent mindset, it begins to change a city, and it becomes a city on a hill. It, it becomes salt and light in the earth, and it's, it's moving our mindset first. So I just simply, do you have a sent mindset? Do you even want the full measure of his joy? Are you okay with cup half full? Is your table crooked? Are you ready to commit yourself to loving Christian community? To love, to comfort, to serve, and to go, and to go to all the world. I want to ask you to stand. I want to pray for you. And as you stand and before I pray, I want to remind you, this is not a destination, right? You're not going to get here by signing up for a group that's out in the lobby after service. You're not, it's not a destination that we're trying to get you to. It's a direction for our life. It's a perspective for our life. It's what the family of God that he's called us into. And so, I invite you into that to pray, to seek God, to see what he would speak to you today. God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace, for your forgiveness, your patience, your truth, God, of your word that is sanctifying us, that that makes us seem, God, we're so starkly different after following you for years, God. But I pray not in a way that is a turnoff to the world, but I pray that is so intriguing to the world around us so countercultural, not that because we're trying to be different because you've transformed us from the inside out, not because we're following a new set of rules, God, but we're just following you and doing what you did first. We love because you loved us first. Would you help us? Would you lead us in this? Come on, church, let's worship. Let's let God speak in these names.